Well, hello, everyone. This is Caitlin. And this is Jessica. And this is Calling All Spirits. How are you doing today, Jess? I am. I'm really good. I am excited. I guess <laughs> I don't even know how to do this because, I, okay, I was trying to fake it, but spoiler alert, we're, we're recording this in May. I was going to be like, I'm getting ready for the 4th of July. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. Sure you can. Just complain about the heat. That's what we do all <laughs> summer anyway. Okay. Well, I actually can complain about that because... It's it's already getting hot and it's humid and uh we have been spoiled with actually fairly decent weather like this spring so I'm like I don't like this it's coming too fast and too quick I could not agree more it is getting to be uncomfortably Texas outside and I don't like it <laughs> I know we are moving into the the hard season for Kaylin and I Especially being a ginger and my poor little son, like we have to slather up the sunscreen like before we go out and it's just like, this is ridiculous. But anyway, so I don't have much going on. Just, uh, but what about you? Do you have anything right now? Not a whole lot, but I did want to tell you, Avi, our dog, did the cutest thing today. Ooh. So Joey and I were both going to grab showers this afternoon because today was my remote day from work. And so uh-huh. like... I didn't shower yesterday and my scalp was driving me nuts. And I got done with my shower and I popped out and I called into the bedroom. It's your turn. I didn't realize that Joey had gone to the other side of the house. Avi came trotting in like it was her turn in the shower. So she got a bath today too. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. It was adorable. Normally she fights me a little bit. Like she'll go in the shower after I convince her so that I can wash her up. But like this time she literally came in. She's like, "My, my turn. Is it my turn? Oh, bless her. Oh, it was so a... sweet. I'm like, you know what, honey? It was your dad's turn. But yes, yes, it is your turn. <laughs> I love that. Oh, that is so sweet. What? Yeah, it was absolutely adorable. Oh, yeah. We, we we tried that with our dog a couple of times. So now it's just whenever we go to the vet or like go, go when we're bored, it's like, let's get a bath and stuff. Yeah, she didn't handle that too well. Oh, poor Dixie. I know. With her little bad leg, it's like, you know, we're just, we're, we're not going to risk anything. We're not going to risk stressing you out. So I know. Did I, she still gets carried up and down the stairs every morning and every night so she can sleep with us. But I mean, the impressive bit is that it's not like you have a little tiny dog. Oh, like, this she is, is a good sized animal. I'm impressed that y'all can carry her up and down the stairs without falling down yourself because I definitely would. I know. Yeah, I guess if listeners don't know, she's 90 pounds about and this German Shepherd mix. But yeah, no, I know. And she's 12. She just turned 12. So so she doesn't we don't try to do the whole bathing thing. We let the professionals do it, but we do carry her up and down the stairs. But oh, I love that story. That is that is wonderful. Um, And I'm excited about tonight because by the time this story airs, we'll have had our which I don't want to spoil. Well, I guess it would already be. You're not spoiling it because this is coming out afterwards. <laughs> I yeah. know it's so weird and recording it so far in advance. But um, we would we've had our interview with Brandy. Yes. So we're kind of taking a little bit of a break from the spiritualism, even though we talked about that with Brandy, and we're kind of continuing the astrology theme for this year's Fourth of July, if you will, episode because last year we did Lincoln. And so this year we're covering another president and his astrologer, which is kind of cool. And I'm incredibly grateful that Brandy was able to come on and explain some of that astrology to us because I'm still confused. 
Uh, but yeah, no, I was super glad Brandy came on because especially when she was talking about like the importance of your sun sign and your moon sign and your rising. And that did come into play when I was researching this podcast episode and um, reading the book um, about our subject tonight because she goes into full detail on the horoscope. So I was like, okay, I recognize a little bit of this. I recognize some of this. Um, so yeah, so very cool. And we will talk more about that. But yeah, to con- do we want to continue the astrology theme that we're going with this month and dive on I in? I think it's a little late to back out now. So absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, very good. Very good. Well, I wanted to start with a little excerpt from a book because I think it kind of sets it sets the scene perfectly like we like to do. So here we go. Virtually every move and decisions the Reagans made during my time as White House Chief of Staff was cleared in advance with this woman in San Francisco who drew up horoscopes to make certain that the planets were in favorable alignment for the enterprise. Now this statement came from Don. Okay, it's really confusing. The author is Don Reagan. It's like R-E-G-A-N. Which sounds a whole lot like Reagan. So very similar name. So not the president. This is Don Reagan, who was the or Reagan, who was the president's chief of staff. And it came from his memoir for the record. He called this the administration's most closely guarded secret. This woman was. He went on mm. to say that the first lady, Nancy Reagan, spoke to this woman nearly every weekend and grew furious when the White House staff made last minute adjustments to the schedule without leaving time for her astrologer's approval. And that astrologer was Joan Quigley, who we're going to talk about tonight. So Joan Quigley was born in Kansas City, Missouri on April 10th, 1927 at 4.17 p.m. Because being an astrologer, of course she knows. Her exact birth time, very important. And Joan's father was a lawyer who purchased the Drake Wilshire Hotel in San Francisco in 1942. And he and his wife, Zelda, which I love, she's Zelda. raised a great name. It is. Raised their daughters in a penthouse apartment in the high-end Knob Hill area and sent them to private schools. The Quigley girls, as they were known, they were chauffeurs. Chauffeur to parties in a Rolls Royce. Okay, I, I, leave it in. I can't say Rolls that. Royce, babe. It's not that hard. Rolls Rolls Royce. Roy- it's my tongue. The Quigley girls, as they were known, were chauffeured to parties in Rolls Royce. And, okay. <laughs> Regularly mentioned in society columns. If our listeners only knew how many times I had tried to say that, I'm leaving it. You know what kind of car I'm talking about. I mean, to be fair, a Rolls Royce is a very impressive car, so I can see why they'd be chauffeured around if they had means. Thank you, and thank you for saying it properly. So the Los Angeles Times wrote about Joan that she had come from the creme de la creme of San Francisco, and Joan Quigley later graduated from Vassar with a degree in art history. I mean, so she's had a really privileged upbringing. Uh, Yeah, really wealthy family. Uh, But what's kind of cool is she was intrigued by her mother's interest in astrology. So she apprenticed with this gentleman named Jerome uh, Pearson to learn everything she could about it. So I love it was actually through her mom that she got so interested. Now her father... I mean, we saw how the spiritualists were often people of means in society. So like, that's not exactly a stretch. No, and it wasn't like astrology was like really hidden. I mean, it, it was around. People were interested. Now, her father disapproved of astrology. So during it's kind of like during the day, she's um, associating with the Junior League. She's working with charities. But then she said at night, 
she would be preparing charts in secret. So she was still kind of working on it. Uh, Did you ever watch the show Dharma and Greg? Yes. Yes. So by day she's Kitty and by night she's Abby. Yes. (laughs) Basically. Exactly. Which I so appreciated because there's still certain groups I'm involved with, organizations that don't really know what I do yet. So I'm like, I kind of, I kind of understand this. Um, Now, this is kind of cool. After college, she wrote an astrology column for Seventeen Magazine and later began seeing clients of her own. Now, Joan always maintained three rules in her work. She only took clients if their chart indicated that they would benefit from astrology. Their chart had to harmoniously relate to Joan's own chart. And their chart had to indicate that they wouldn't become dependent on astrology. Clearly, she missed the mark, given the quote we already read about her relationship with the president and first lady. Well, and see, that's been a big thing of debate was, was Nancy addicted to astrology? Joan if she got like, upset because they didn't have time if with last minute changes to go check with the astrologer, I'd say that counts as addicted to astrology. Yeah, and that is still up for debate. Now, Joan actually began appearing on local and national television. So her reputation is growing. And then in 1972, she began appearing on the Merv Griffin Show, which at the time was the most popular afternoon talk show in the country. So it kind of makes me think of like going on Oprah. like Yeah, daytime TV at like the beginning <laughs> of its popularity. Absolutely. Now, before her first show, Joan was giving the birth dates of Merv and his son, Tony, And before she even went on air, just from glancing at their charts, she correctly stated to a person backstage that she knew Merv had recently put money into Tony's account. Just from looking at the chart. What? I know. Well, and the person helping her backstage was as stunned, as you can imagine, at the accuracy of her reading. And that person also just happened to be a producer of the show. Which is really oh, fancy that. Joan. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Now, years later, Joan recalled a prediction that she made on the show that came true, which I think several did, but this is the one she highlighted in her book. Joan told Merv that his marriage would soon be breaking up. I know. That, that's a pretty bold statement to come out with. Now, Merv actually didn't believe it, but two weeks later, his wife surprised him and served him with divorce papers. So Two weeks? Dang. Yes, two weeks later. Um, now, this one's a little confusing because Joan claimed to have made another prediction. And she kind of made it sound like it was while she was on the show. But then she said it wasn't on air. So I'm not really sure. But Joan said that she clearly predicted that Nixon uh, would be reelected as well as the fall and scandal that would later become known as Watergate. So she said she predicted that, too. So um, what would she have been looking at on the show that would have given her that prediction? The, the only thing I can think of is she does talk about how, especially when during election times, I mean, it's kind of like what people do with psychics and astrologers now, whenever there's elections or big things coming up, that um, she would they'd have her look into it who do you think's gonna win so I'm I'm guessing it was probably something like that like they had been asking her about it because she yeah um now Merv confided to Joan that she was the only one among dozens of psychics and astrologers who appeared on his show who had ever told him anything about himself that did come true so he considered her legit she became a regular on the Merv Griffin show And their interviews would always begin with a list of predictions that had come true from her previous appearances and then go into her 
new predictions for the future. So, I mean, she must have been really good that he kept bringing her on. Now, during one of their private meetings in 1973, Merv told Joan that he shared a birthday, which was July 6th, and an interest in astrology with the governor of California's wife, Nancy Reagan. And Merv said Nancy was very interested in meeting Joan, and the rest, as they say, is going to be history after that. Now, what's kind of cool, if anybody knows the uh, medium Lisa Williams, I've, I, I was a, I mean, I still like her. It's not like I don't like her, but I was a huge fan of her like 10 years ago, and she had her own TV show, and she came over from Britain and got really famous, and it was through Merv Griffin. He was the one that discovered her and gave her her own TV show after she did a reading for him. So I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool little connection. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So he must have been really interested in all this stuff. Now, during their initial, during Joan and Nancy's initial meeting over the phone, um, they mainly discussed Nancy's own personal concerns. Joan recalled that they got along quite well and that her accuracy impressed Nancy. Joan said that she could tell by Nancy Reagan's chart that she was destined to be world famous and together with her husband, she knew that they would be fated for world recognition and enormous power. And she even said her chart was similar to um, Jacqueline Kennedy's. Like, not quite the same, oh, but just, wow. that, just the level of being famous and being on a world stage. It was very similar. Wow. I know. <laughs> From that initial meeting in 1973, Nancy would call Joan every year for her astrological update, which, I mean, I do that every year with my astrologer. So <laughs> I, I feel like I would... If I had the money, I would be Nancy Reagan. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, when you have somebody who's that good at reading things, it's hard not to double check everything by them. I was going to say, how can you not be addicted? Now, even though Joan had been working on Nancy and Ronald Reagan's horoscope since 1973, they finally met in person for the first time in the summer of 1976 when a mutual friend invited Joan to a fundraiser Nancy was organizing for the Reagan presidential campaign. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so Joan got involved to help with Reagan's... Uh, Reagan's campaign, that this is kind of funny. So even though she's helping, she did say that when she looked at his chart, she knew Reagan would not win the nomination. But she decided to help just to be nice to Nancy, which is like, did you tell Nancy this? Like, if right? you clearly saw it, she doesn't say whether she told her or not, but she just said she helped. And Jen was right. The nomination went to Gerald Ford. Now, to take it one step further, in this case, Merv Griffin asked Joan on his show who would win the 1976 presidential election. And she correctly predicted that Ford would misspeak himself so badly that it would jeopardize his chances of winning a close election. And she was right. That year, Jimmy Carter was elected president. So she's pretty good. Now, when Reagan ran for president again in 1980, Joan helped out on this campaign. Once again, she's involved. Now, Joan says the Reagans weren't the only politicians that sought her astrological services during this time. Ooh. I know. Someone from the Bush campaign asked Joan for her opinion on their candidates' chances at winning. Really? Yes. Um, but Joan said she studied the charts of all the leading candidates and said Reagan had the best chance of winning. <laughs> so, sorry, Bush, you're going to have to wait a little bit. <laughs> But I think it's interesting that other politicians are, like, reaching out to her. <laughs> now, Joan reached out to Nancy Reagan and asked if she'd be interested in a detailed account of what she saw in Reagan's horoscope. And, of course, Nancy was like, yes, 
please. Right? Is like, that a rhetorical question? Exactly. So Jones submitted a carefully detailed astrological report to the Reagan's campaign director. So she's sending it up to the directors in 1980. Wow. And it, I know. And it warned of avoidable dangers and problems between August 1st and Election Day. And so it's kind of like, so what convinced Reagan's campaign advisors to actually trust an astrologer? Well, there was one event that happened. So Jones sent a warning for the future president not to make any foreign policy announcements on August 19th. Shouldn't even discuss it. Well, Reagan didn't listen, discussed foreign policy on the 19th, and it was a disaster. It was like a horrible gaffe. And after that, the campaign directors were glued to Jones' report, and they stuck (laughs) to it. Because she was right. She was right. I I mean... You're right, you're right. Now, Joan became involved in every decision from advice on debates, when to speak with the media, public appearances, even the times for departures when he was flying around the country. Oh, wow. I know. And it looked like Joan's report worked because Reagan was elected the president of the United States in 1980. And I probably should have said this at the beginning, but it's okay to insert it here. This information that we're sharing, this all comes from Joan's own personal book. So this is Joan's side of the story. It's... um. So just, it hasn't, I mean, the uh, president's chief of staff did mention her and that she was very involved. So I think that gives credence to what she's saying, that he came out and said. But I just wanted to put that out there. This didn't come from, like, the Reagans or other people. This is this is Joan's account of what happened. Um, now, while jo- Yes, yes, of course. Now, while Joan had worked closely with the Reagans during the election, Nancy actually stopped returning her calls during Reagan's first few months in the White House. I know. That was until March 30th, 1981, because on that date, President Reagan and his Secret Service detail were departing from a midday speaking engagement at the Washington Wilton Hotel when a lone gunman opened fire. So the president was wounded, but he did survive the assassination attempt. And afterwards, Nancy called Joan to ask if she could have foreseen this horrible event. And Joan assured her that she could have and would have warned the president. And from yeah, yeah. And from that point on, Joan became the astrologer to the Reagans. So she started calling her a little more, <laughs> returning yeah. those phone calls. <laughs> uh, which, I mean, that that's understandable. Now, initially, Joan and Nancy would only speak about every three months to go over general needs. They would look at upcoming events. Joan would suggest the best times and dates for various activities. And Joan would tell her a list of favorable and unfavorable dates. And much of the information Joan provided was exact to the minute. There were times that Joan was analyzing the president's horoscope on an hour-by-hour basis. So, I mean, she's, like, updating his chart. It's just crazy. When emergencies arose at the White House, Nancy and Joan would maybe speak two to three times a day during those cases. So, if you, yeah. So, here's a few of the things Joan said she helped with. Press conferences and debates. So, Joan would always choose the start time. That was extremely important. And then once she had the chart with the start time, she would move it forward minute by minute to see when the president would be well showcased when in the when in the debate detractors would need to be squelched what sections were hazardous so the president could take extra care during those parts of the base like she knew it minute by minute how it would go isn't that insane that's so detailed incredibly detailed um of course she chose the time for all his speeches and she said that was super that was i was gonna say that was super easy but she said it was a lot easier because when she was looking at speeches the only charts she had to look at were the reaction of the american people 
the media, and the president. And she'd kind of put them all together and find the perfect time for him to give his speech. Oh, she would assist with political relations. So if the president was trying to make a deal or needed to get someone, I don't know, I'm making this up, but like say somebody in Congress, he wants to, do, you know, make a deal. You know how they do, work out politics. She would um, pull charts for those people and then figure out what's the best time to talk to them. Interesting. Yeah. Now, she did say she never knew who it was. Their identities are kept a secret, but she would like it. I guess they'd give her their birth times. So, Interesting. Yeah, I know. Um, trips, of course, she would assist with the planning of all trips. Uh, she chose the departure times, and she'd look at charts for the locations the president would be visiting. And Joan said that in her book, she was the one that controlled the departure times of Air Force One. Whoa. Yeah. And there were times she would delay it. Like, it was supposed to go out, and, like, before it departed, she'd call or be like, no, you got to wait 15 minutes. And they would do it. I mean, it's just... Dude! It's really wild. And, of course, she also looked at the president's health. um, And his horoscope indicated a tendency towards tumors. So she had the doctors, like, constantly looking for that. And she dictated the time and date of the president's two surgeries. She was in charge of that, too. So, I mean, she kind of ran. It, I mean, if yeah. this is all true, but according to her, she kind of ran the White House and, and every part of it. Like, they're uh, personal assistants to the president that don't have this much power. No, no. Um, and, and she even said every now and then Nancy would ask Joan to look into her own personal horoscope, but apparently that was really rare. It was all about the president. Um, and computers are coming out, dear. You know, they're kind of getting bigger. And she said she used computers for all the charts. Because even though she could do it by hand, but she was running so many charts so frequently, she had to do it with computers. Um, Now, with the exception of the report she submitted to the campaign, this was interesting. She didn't put it in writing. So she would call call Nancy, and she suggested Nancy tape it. Tape what she was saying so they would have the accurate record. But Nancy insisted on just writing down and taking notes. So she never actually recorded any of them. Which makes me wonder, (laughs) it's like, did she want a record? Like, I, I, notes are a lot easier to get rid of. Yeah, I think she wanted a record for sure. I think so, too. I think so, too. And to help with secrecy, Joan would rarely contact the First Lady directly. They had liaisons that would go between the two. All right. So, yeah, I mean, this was all, like, very hush-hush. For all her hard work, Joan was paid by the hour for her time spent on the phone conversations Preparing the president's charts. Um, this is kind of funny. But Joan did note that in her final year of helping the first lady, she charged Nancy a monthly fixed fee because, and I quote, she needed much more of my time than she could afford. <laughs> so I'm like, this is the first lady. Wow. And, yeah. And then Joan also went on to note that this was extremely generous on her part. Um, she, okay. Yeah. No, she... She has opinions. Um, now, I didn't. I, I may have just missed it in the book. I read the whole book, but I may have skipped it. But I, so I didn't see how much she paid. But another article I read said she was paying 3000 a month to Joan. But I'm not 100%. In the 80s? That's what it said. Now, that's what one article about Joan said. Hold up. I'm looking up the inflation rate. Yeah, please look it up. Because I don't remember seeing that in the book. But honestly, I read that book pretty fast. So I may have just missed it. 3000 in 1980 is worth $11,044 today. Wow. A month just for astrology. Wow. Wow. Which makes me think, because she's considering that generous, that that's all she's charging because she's not charging her by the hour. 
So it's like, how much would that really have been costing by the hour? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I guess it's it's a little crazy. I can see why there were problems with the First Lady affording that, because that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And it has to be kept so secret, too. So like, how are they paying that? Where's that? You know, like. And they and weren't I, her exclusive clients. Like, how much was she making a month in oh, general? I feel like this woman was making so much money. I mean, she comes from Dude. wealth. And it seems like in her later life, she still had quite a bit of wealth. So I think she was doing okay. Well, yeah, all she had to do was not spend extravagantly while she was earning 11K a month from one yeah, client. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Joan devotes an entire chapter in her book to the president's chart. I am not going to do that to y'all. If you are, if you love astrology, I'm sure you will find it completely fascinating because she goes into so much detail. I like astrology. I think it's cool, but it was a little too much for me. So I'm just going to give you a few highlights, just a few highlights from this. Valid, but, super but valid. she goes through every single planet in his horoscope. So I'm giving you like four. Um, but his son is in Aquarius, which is interesting. Um, there, At least at the time of the book, which was 1990, there were five other presidents with an Aquarian son, with the most famous being Lincoln and FDR, according to Joan. Um, Aquarians share a humanitarian vision and also are formidable communicators. It is also worth noting that in the case of Reagan, Lincoln, and FDR, much of the American Republic responded to their leadership pretty well. I mean... Poor Lincoln, that that ended very badly. But overall, and even now, Lincoln's looked upon. So yeah, the influence still echoes through. So that technically tracks. Exactly. Um, Reagan's moon was in Taurus, which generally represents someone that is conservative, friendly, sound, stable, loyal. Stubborn, 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 stubborn. stubborn. (laughs) I I will note in the book, it's it's all the positive sides of each (laughs) side. I, I did note that because I, as a Taurus, yes, we're very stubborn and we don't like change. I say it with love, but stubborn, stubborn, yes, stubborn, yes. stubborn. Exactly. Now, Joan noted that it was this part of his horoscope that was ideal for political popularity. Because I guess Tauruses are generally liked. Um, now, his rising sign was Sagittarius. And she said that Sagittarius is generally the longest lived and luckiest of the signs. It has really? Strength- I know. This is what she said. She said it has strength and vitality. And Sagittarius are typically accepted by important people. They are philosophical. They love to exchange ideas and debate in a civilized fashion. She put that in. And they're usually able to convince the other party of their own ideas and viewpoints. (laughs) (laughs) They usually win. Whose idea was this podcast? I know. (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. That tracks. That tracks. Mm. And so that was his rising sign. So if according to Brandy, um, if I remember right, the Sagittarius part is what most people saw. Because usually yeah. they see you're rising first. So he came off like a Sagittarius. Yep. Or he was, but that's what people thought. Um, now, lastly, what Joan considered the most important planet in Reagan's chart was his Jupiter, which was in Scorpio. And Jupiter is the lucky, luckiest planet in a person's chart. And with Reagan's and Scorpio, it showed tremendous vitality and almost superhuman strength. And this is what she believed allowed Reagan to recover from the bullet he, wound he suffered in the assassination attempt, two serious operations for cancer, and just the incredible mental and physical demands of the presidency. Because he had that Scorpio. Yeah. So that's all the horoscope I'm going to talk about. If you're super fascinated... 
There, like I said, there's an entire chapter. Like there's like two. She pages. goes into detail. Buy the book yourself. You'll not yes. be disappointed. No, no, no. If that's your thing, you will probably eat it up. Um, no, moving on. The 1984 re-election campaign, of course, uh, Joan is there to help. She chose the time for Reagan to announce his re-election campaign, which was Sunday, January 29th, 1984 at 10.55 p.m., which is such an odd time. <laughs> like, it's so late. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it was Eastern time, too. So during this campaign that Joan confessed to making the only mistake of the entire seven years she worked for the president. Oh, I only one mistake the entire seven years. I've made more mistakes this week. <laughs> this is what she said. So it was during the first Reagan Mondale debates and Reagan. So she was looking at the charts and she was trying to figure out what she thought the chart she drew up and the times and everything she picked would be devastating for Mondale. But it wasn't. Reagan struggled in this debate and Mondale shined throughout it. And she said it was the only time she ever failed the president and gave him less than excellent advice. But despite that error, Reagan would go on to win his reelection campaign. So she, because she did everything else. Well, now this is, to me, this is a little sad. Okay, now during her time, she worked closely with the Reagans. She only visited the White House once. This came in April of 1985 when Joan knew from her own chart it would be a favorable time for her to visit. And it's kind of interesting because she wasn't exactly like, hey, please come. Come to the state dinner. We want to see you. She kind of had this open-ended invitation from Nancy. So it was like, if you're ever, it makes it, I, I could be wrong, but the way I interpreted it or how it, how it made it sound was like, kind of like, if you're ever in Washington, you know, call us up, you know, kind of one of those, but not like a set invitation. But June, but Joan knew, see, we're dealing with too many months, <laughs> but Joan knew that April would be good and like a lucky month for her. So she went to Washington. Um, she did get to attend a state dinner on April 10th and spoke with President Reagan for the first time ever in the receiving line. I'm sorry, what? I know. So yeah, she's doing all this behind the scenes, but she was only talking to Nancy. So she never talked to the president. Yeah. The confusing part is that if I put myself in the position of the president, I'm taking this much detailed advice from somebody that I've never spoken to. You are, but I get I guess how I could wrap my head around it is like if if the first several times or if like she's got a really good track record and it's working, I could see myself being like, "Okay, let's just keep doing what we're doing." Like it seems to be working. Yeah, yeah but I feel like I would like wouldn't you have wanted to meet her, like, in the early stages of that as she was getting things right? Because, like, to yeah. give it a different context, this is a world where you haven't met my husband yet, and he's letting you dictate his every li- every minute in his life. Yeah, no, I know. It, it is it is kind of strange. But That's bizarre. Yeah, but they hadn't. So the first time they spoke, Reagan said, hello, Joan. Like, they were long acquaintances, and Joan well, said they in a way basically they were. were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, exactly. Joan told the president, I believe you have been chosen to bring peace, which greatly pleased him and the first lady. Now, during that event, Joan was careful not to let on to who she was. She simply introduced herself to people as a writer from San Francisco and would evade any further questions. And she was very careful not to be in photographs. Like she kind of hid from photographers. Um, Mm. and then this is sad in her book, Joan said that Nancy quite obviously did not want to make a point of my being there. So I know. Um, But the following day, Joan did get to have tea with the first lady in the Reagan's private apartments at the White House. And they kind of had some chit chat, small talk. Um, 
Nancy was interested again in Bush's chances of winning the presidency in the future, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, and Joan said, yeah, he would. It looks like he would. And ask about her, her horoscope and, of course, her husband's. And after that, okay, now this is interesting because it makes me think, what happened in that meeting? Because this is what Joan said about the first lady after meeting her in per- um, after that. She said, this woman could chew someone up and swallow and spit up the bones and never feel a thing. Did she just call her an owl? I don't know. That was her quote after meeting her. I know. I was just like, wow, that's intense. I just I think she was just from reading from reading Joan's book. It just sounds like the first lady, especially sounds like it was more towards the end, but just very determined, very focused. Like we are, my husband is going to be president. And she really was like, I'm going to support him and help him. And it was kind of like he was her whole kind of world and she focused on him. But then it made it sound like as the presidency went on, then it kind of became more about Nancy a little bit. It just kind of, it made it sound like Mrs. Reagan kind of evolved over the course of like the presidency. I don't know all the details, but that's that's kind of what it made it sound like. It, it wasn't that favorable of Nancy, but you'll find out what happens in the end. So her, she may have had a little biased view of Nancy <laughs> because of the mm, ending of the story. Okay. Which is coming up. We're, we're getting there. Um, so some of the most important work Joan did during the President Reagan's time in office concerned his relationship with uh Secretary General Gorbachev and the Soviet Union, because that was going on. Um, Joan created a chart for Gorbachev, and I just put in a few insights. Um, She noted that his Mercury was in Aquarius, and that that was the most important planet in his chart. And that would give him the power to understand and communicate ideas. Um, Someone who is rarely deceived by anyone's character or motivation. Um, Someone with insight and vision. And the other important planet was Gorbachev's sun, which was in Pisces, which generally Pisces is very spiritual, someone that is compassionate, self-sacrificing, wants to benefit others, is a realist, and understands the world. And it could also make a politician really popular. So I don't know if all that applies to Gorbachev, but just generally, that's kind of what a Pisces sun, that's what it's about. Um, Now, both of these signs symbolized his mission in his life, which was, and in this life, to lead one of the most powerful nations in the world and be an important link between the past and its future, which is interesting. But she did note his Saturn and Capricorn did make him very tough. He could dominate an environment and he wouldn't back down to anyone. So that was a few highlights from his chart. She went into quite a bit of it. Um, So her overall conclusion was that Gorbachev was a tough man who is highly intelligent, but open to new ideas. <laughs> and right, she, yeah, and she said there is actually a natural chemistry between Reagan and Gorbachev with their charts. And she referred to them as very friendly enemies who had the joint potential of working together successfully. And their charts, she said, showed they were destined to, to communicate together and exchange ideas and come to a mutually arrived vision. Okay, and, and she even admits in her book, she's like, some people aren't going to believe this. It's kind of like when I think when we say this is a little woo-woo, like we're getting a yeah. little woo-woo. She kind of basically says that. But she even believed by looking at their charts that they um, that their friendship in this life was actually continued from past lives. Interesting. 
I know. I thought that was a little interesting, but she was like, yeah, people probably aren't going to believe that. But (laughs) but that's what she thought. That's what it looked like. So going forward, Joan would study the horoscopes and assist in the planning and time for all meetings and summits between the two world leaders um, from that point on. Now, because this was so important, Joan and Nancy were communicating two to three times a day, and Joan was now even calling the White House directly, but she was using an assumed name of Joan Frisco, which is short for San Francisco. Yeah, I was going to say, so Joan from San Francisco, how big? I know. Um, Joan said she was working 10 to 12 hour days to find the perfect time for all the summits and meetings, and eventually the signing of the INF Treaty on December 8, 1987. Now, this was probably so frustrating for her. So she picked the perfect time for them to sign this treaty, which was 1.48 p.m. But they were running late. So they signed it 14 minutes later. So Joan admits that the signing was flawed. And she was so worried about it that she commented in her book that, you know how you can progress the charts forward to see what's going to happen? She was too scared to progress it forward. And she didn't know what was going to happen. I know that's how upset... Um, how scared she was because it wasn't at her exact time and apparently they were talking to other like I don't know if it was at the same time but Joan recalled on another show and they asked another astrologer about um, the timing of this meeting to sign the treaty and that astrologer was like who would have ever picked that time that's the worst time like astrological and she's like I didn't pick that time (laughs) so she was I know I felt bad for she's like that isn't what time I picked and it also the date wasn't what she wanted she wanted a completely different date but they're like no this has to be the date and I mean so she knew like this is not the best but I know I did feel bad when those other astrologers were calling around I'm like she couldn't help it (laughs) yeah um Now, it's said that Reagan's presidency was often referred to as a Teflon presidency. That came from a Wall Street Journal article um, in November of 1984. And they said Washington still talks about Ronald Reagan's Teflon presidency. The Teflon (laughs) presidency means that no matter what gaffes President Reagan commits, no blame seems to attach to him. That is, no mud sticks, no smears seem to affect his popularity. And, of course, Joan claims that the advice she gave the Reagans over all those years she helped helped protect the president from the hazards of the office so she could take credit for that teflon presidency interesting yes so what happens now while joan was still working for the reagans a book came out that would forever change that relationship okay here's that confusing guy with a similar name donald reagan's memoir in which he complained at length about the unchecked powers of an unnamed astrologer um came out Now, while he didn't name Joan in his book, someone from the administration leaked her name to the press. Oh, no. Yes. So the fallout was immediate. I mean, I I can't even imagine. Like, this comes out. Comedians are joking about the president's so-called reliance on an astrologer. Religious leaders are condemning astrology as a tool of the devil. (laughs) And members of the Federation of American Scientists are railing at the idea that the government decisions may have been informed by what they called fantasy and yeah so it's not good the president and the first lady were frantic to discredit this story so nancy tried to reach joan by phone but instead of joan answering her sister ruth answered the call and nancy said this must never come out and her sister ruth replied like of course not while you're in office but what about after you're out of office and nancy nancy replied never 
And that was the end of the relationship between Joan and the First Lady. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Now, Joan never smoked. Uh, ugh, sorry. Uh, it's like the last three sentences. I'm done. Now, Joan never spoke about her work with the White House until Nancy Reagan published her own memoir called My Turn, in which she did address the allegations about her dependency on astrology. So Nancy said, astrology was simply one of the ways I coped with the fear I felt after my husband almost died. My relationship with Joan began as a crutch, one of the several ways I tried to alleviate my concern about Ronnie. And that's all she said. That was like her only note about Joan. So she does admit that at least Joan was a part of it. Now, Joan was so offended by Nancy's dismissive portrayal that in her own 1990 memoir, which is where I pulled all this information, it was a book called What Does Joan Say? My Seven Years as White House Astrologer to Nancy and Ronald Reagan. And it came out January 1st, 1990. So she decided to tell her own side of the story. And um, the title, What Does Joan Say?, actually came from what the president would always ask Nancy before scheduling an important event. He would say, what does Joan say? In her later years, Joan said that she foresaw Nancy's betrayal and told a reporter that she knew she could expect no gratitude from the Reagans. And then Joan Quigley passed away at the age of 87 in 2014. So that is Joan Quigley. So she lived longer than President Reagan, but not mm-hmm. as long as Nancy did. Yeah, I think so. I can't remember when Nancy died, but I trust you. Um, I just looked it up because I was curious. 2016. Okay, so, yeah. But, I mean, in the end, I'm like, I mean, Joan's book has so much detail that it's hard for me to think she's just, I, I, honest to goodness, I trust her book. I think her book's legit. I think That's my own opinion. Um, and especially since the White House Chief, Chief of Staff talks about how reliant they were on this yeah, astrologer. That part especially. Yeah, I, I I think it checks out. I and it's just I can't part of me is also like, okay, this is brilliant. Why aren't more of our presidents relying on astrologer? Because I mean for all we know they do and they just hide it better. That's true. I mean it's I mean that is true. But then some of the stuff it's like from all of them, I'm not naming just one. It's like, well, you should have avoided that. Or like, why'd you do that? Also like, fair. Also fair. Yeah. I'm like, if you have an astrologer, I don't know that they're that great. Or, or maybe it could be worse with some. Maybe it could True. Be it could be worse. They could just need a better astrologer. Mm-hmm. Um, or that it's fallen out of favor in a lot of circles, even in our, like, you know, the way you phrased it earlier, even in our woo-woo circles, astrology isn't always taken very seriously, so. I know, which kind of surprises me, because I look at astrology a little bit more, like, it's a set science. Like, there's, like, I don't know, I, like, if anything, I probably, well, I mean, I trust mediumship, obviously, but I feel like astrology, it's like, there's rules to this, there's math, there's science. Yeah, right? Like, when, when it involves math, for some reason, we want to take it a little more seriously. We do, we do. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it's really interesting. And I thought about something that Brandy talked about. And I was trying to find the exact quote but in that book, but I should have put a bookmark and I didn't. And it, it was a long book. It's a good book. You just have to be, okay, okay either you have to love like, politics from that time period because it's a lot of detailed politics and i'm i'm just not i wasn't that interested (laughs) i know does that sound bad 
I mean, my specialty is kind of the is the same one as yours. Like I can I can stretch my focus into World War One with right. a little bit of dabbling in World War Two, just because it's hard to get away from it. I am not good post fifties. Like I'm all. not either. I'm not either. And that was like when we were kids, so I probably should be more interested. But I'm just like, eh. <laughs> like but they. So, I, okay, just kind of this is. I don't really have a good segue, but I remember we were talking to Brandy about, you know, the whole debate, like with astrology, do we have free will? Is it like all set in the stars? Like kind of how is it? And Joan had an interesting take on this. First of all, this is her quote. She said she considered astrology um, is God's way of letting us read his overall plan of our lives. And God could be, you know, whoever you see as the superior being but I'm like that I like that I, that's an interesting thought that it's it's just uh, there we our lives have an overall plan and this just lets us see it but then that kind of is like so do we have free will or is it all set in stone and so another part of the book I remember her saying that she thinks some things are just set in stone like it's going to happen to us it's predestined it's in the stars but then kind of some things we do have free will like we can, if we see it coming, we can avoid it. Or if there's something hazardous, we can make it a little better. But she kind of makes it sound like some things, no matter what you do, like it's going to happen. So I was like, huh. So kind of like a play where you're making up your own stage directions? Yeah, a little bit. Like she said, like Lincoln, his assassinated assassination. She went into that like the night he went to the theater, like it was set. It was done. Like or that, she made it sound like. That assassination was going to happen no matter what. Like, it was in the chart. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not saying whether it's right. I mean, whether she's true or not. But it's just her take on it was interesting. But then other things could be avoided. It kind of makes me think of, like, major arcana and minor arcana in tarot. (laughs) Like, minor, we can work with those. Okay, it's a daily occurrence. But major is like, oh, this is big life stuff. That's kind of what it made. That's how I wrapped it around in my head (laughs) a little bit. That's fair. Yeah, but I like that thing of, like, it's just kind of like we can see the plan of our lives. <laughs> like, it's all laid out. So, anyway, that was a little bit of her take on on it. So, there we go. She is fascinating. She is. I, I wish there was more out there. Like, videos and stuff. Like, I think I only found, like, one or two little clips, but not as much as I was hoping for. Like, I, w- I wanted to see, like, the Merv Griffin show. Like, yeah. I was hoping on YouTube, and maybe it is. Maybe I wasn't searching right, but I couldn't find it. If y'all come across it, make sure to link it to us so that we can watch yes. it, too. Yes, yes, please do, because I would love to have seen her on Merv Griffin and her all these predictions she's making and stuff. Um, right? Yeah, and it is, and I'm, I'm not going to get political, but it is interesting that she was talking about the treaty and the Soviet Union and all that, and now kind of what's happening again with Russia, and, you know, it's yeah. kind of like... Because she, the the original time and plan she had for the treaty, she made it sound like, like she, um, she made that, she looked at that chart a hundred years even into the future. Like she progressed it all the way a wow. hundred years for her initial one and it all was good. And then when it didn't go down, like she hoped it would, she was too scared to progress it. Well, so now like, I'm mad she didn't look at it because I want to know what she would have seen. I know. I know. Um, but I, I was just thinking about modern times. It kind of feels like, okay, like we're kind of looking, you know, it makes me wonder. For sure. And gosh, if they had been 14 minutes late to that side. Like, Those are big words coming from somebody else with ADHD. I know. I know. <laughs> I think like, I, 
I'm trying to remember. It was like Gorbachev was late, but then they wanted to take a bunch of pictures, which I'm sure, gosh, how annoying would that be for you to be the astrologer that he's already running late? That's like, we've got to right. get all the pictures. It'd be like, just sign the damn thing. Sign it <laughs> like, first, sign then it. take pictures. It will not yes. kill you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, gosh, that had to be so frustrating. <laughs> Yikes, I can only bet. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. No, it was a fascinating. It was a really interesting to research. Her book was on Amazon, but um, I had to end up getting a used copy. And so it is from 1990, and it came from, like, a library in Ohio or something. Nice. Like, I know, which is kind of cool. It's, like, very vintage. Love it. Uh, I know. An old library book. Um, but yeah, if anybody really wants to read the book, it looks like there's still copies available and you can get them used for pretty cheap, too. So, yeah. Sweet. I mean, you know how big an advocate I am for thrift books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, I agree. Um, I, I, I buy a lot of them used, so. And they're probably all from the time period. <laughs> they're probably I all mean, fairly old. Um, solid bet. Yeah. I, so, anyway, so. Enjoy Fourth of July if you celebrate. <laughs> like, think of Joan. Do your chart. Look at your astro- astrological chart. Yeah, <laughs> plug in the information on one of those websites that gives you the uh, birth chart and see if you can understand what you're looking at. Because yes. I, I know I can't. I, I don't. I don't understand. I can. I mean, I described it in our interview with Brandy. Like I'm watching The Matrix. I can do the same thing where I pick out a redhead or a dog <laughs> or something, but I cannot see the picture happening. I have no I idea what I'm looking at. I, oh, I know. I was excited the other day. I saw like a trine and I'm like, I don't exactly know what this means, but I see it. I see the trine. It's important. Like, and I know that it's there. <laughs> that's what I feel like happens when I look at charts. I'm like, I know there's something interesting, but I can't tell you what. <laughs> I, I am very proud of myself. We have um, someone new in the office and she has a tattoo and it, it, I'm like, that looks like a Zodiac symbol. So I went and I Googled it and I recognized it. It was Mercury. Ooh. Very cool. But I'm like, I'm proud of myself for recognizing that it was a Zodiac sign. <laughs> hey, I think we're improving. I mean, Brandy's just got to create this astrology. The Idiot's Guide to Astrology for Dummies. Yes, exactly. Yes. yes. <laughs> and then, so we'll start with the symbols. Like like little kids. What is this? Symbol? It'll be like flashcards. Flash yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have flashcards. I mean, that will probably take months and then it'll be like, here's Honestly, we should probably make flashcards and sell them on Etsy because I know we're not the only ones with this problem. No, but no, I don't think we are. But I, how do some people pick it up like that? It's just like naturally like, oh, this make I, I don't know. The same way pe- some people pick up different languages like Spanish or Italian That's or true. Mandarin. Like they just have a knack for it or the same way. I don't know. We both pick up random historical facts from the Victorian period. Well, this is true because people probably already <laughs> always ask you and me the same thing, especially when we do house tours. They're always like, how do you remember all this? Like, how do you remember exactly. all the dates? And I'm like, I don't know. I just do. <laughs> you repeat it often like, enough. You figure it out. Oh I don't God. know. Well, isn't that the truth? Sometimes I feel like a zombie doing those house tours. I'd, I'd like get to three or four rooms. I'm like, wait. How did I get here? Like, how did I My favorite one here? was we with the days if we had so many tours that day. I'd be like, did I already tell you this part? Mm-hmm. Okay, no. Okay. This is the thing where yes. this is the other thing. Yes. You lose track of what you've told so far, especially, I don't know how you gave your tours, but I would try to include jokes in every other room. And I'm like, did I already tell this joke? I didn't. Okay, good. <laughs> no, but I wasn't as good at jokes as you were. You're much better at jokes, but no, I totally, or I wouldn't, I'd forget to tell them a big chunk because I already thought I told them. It's like, Oh, gosh, I left that entire part out of the story. Like, oops. 
Yeah, Halloween. that would be where it was easy on busier days where it would be, uh, it, like, for the Halloween events where mm-hmm. I would be in one room. So I knew what I mm-hmm. said because I'd only say the same thing over and over again. And yes. It was fine. <laughs> yes, exactly. No. So, yes, how we can do that and just pull it out and talk yep. about it. That's how some people can just learn astrology. But Everybody I'm, has their own neck. Exactly. But this is our goal. By next July, we will at least know the signs and the houses. And maybe maybe what a trine is. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I have absolute faith that you will remember what a trine is because you're going to open with that question and you will have repeated that question at least four times by next year. That is true. The challenge on the other two things, I'm like, okay, that's very optimistic of you, but I'm here for it. Let's give it a go. Yes. Well, so listeners will report back in a year how we're doing. And if we don't report back, call us out on it because odds are we forgot on purpose. In the meantime, though, thank you all for listening again. You know how excited we are to have you every time. And we're so happy that we got to do another, like, year marker. Like, we did this last year, and we're doing it again. Like, two Fourth of July episodes. And so if you like us doing this, or if you enjoy any of the episodes, you know the drill. You have to please appease the podcast gods and leave us a rating and a review on Spotify or Apple Pod or wherever you're listening. And obviously, while you're there, if you haven't hit subscribe yet, please hit subscribe. Yes. Absolutely. And we want to hear from you. So please let us know what you think about this episode. If there's any other spirited topics that you want us uh, to explore in future episodes. If you want to hear how we're doing with astrology, ask us (laughs) that too. (laughs) Probably not well, but still ask away. Um, You can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod, or you can email us at CallingAllSpiritsPod at gmail.com. And of course, you can become one of our patrons on Patreon, and you get all the good behind the stuff. You get the bonus episodes. We're going to be doing movie nights. Lots of fun things happening over there. Eventually, a blooper reel in this episode will definitely (laughs) feature prominently in that. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. And then, of course, if you're feeling lucky... Or if you want to figure out when you're going to be lucky, you can always pull your own chart and then try to figure out when the most auspicious time for you to contact us is. Because, like, I don't think we're going to give you our birth information. Like, we shared Jess's birthday on Facebook. (laughs) That's about as much as you're going to get. So I recommend looking at your own chart. Or, you know, just shoot us an email and trust that we'll read it on an auspicious day and we'll get back to you. Absolutely. And until next time, bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.